and Eva Glockman here for Stick Together, a half hour of worker stories, union news and social justice issues. We come to you from 3CR on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation with respect to their elders past, present and emerging. We are coming to you on your community radio station through the Community Radio Network. Throughout the past week, media outlets like the AFR, Australian Financial Review, and Murdoch's Sky News and The Australian have been telling the Australian public that we'll all be ruined and the sky is about to fall. Their impersonations of Hanrahan and Chicken Little were down to federal government's intention to legislate same job, same pay measures in the spring sitting following on from the Fair Work Amendment Same Job, Same Pay Bill 2021 introduced to Parliament to ensure that all employers pay employees the same rate for a job regardless of their employment type. In the past decade, Australian employers have been busily creating, it could be argued, a system of modern slavery as a business model which includes the creation of labour hire companies, thus removing direct employment responsibilities such as sick leave, holiday leave, living away from home allowances, etc., while also creating loopholes that allowed employers to pay labour hire workers less than permanent workers doing the same job. Running alongside this has been the use of apps and the false premise that gig economy workers are sole traders. Therefore, the overarching organisation that monitors the work have no employer responsibilities. We know this from the terrible conditions for food delivery riders, but perhaps it is less well known that this society-destroying system is moving like a virus into general deliveries, home help, nursing care, and the list goes on. The legislation being put forward federally, which employer organisations and their cronies at the AFR and Murdoch media outlets call the end of the world, aims to put some parity back in the power struggle that is the Australian industrial landscape. We all know now which side these outlets are on, and it's not on the side of even-handed reporting. On today's program, we go to the grassroots perspective on the modern slavery world that the big end of town tells us is the only future we can expect. The grassroots fight back, that is. First up, a session from this year's Migrant Workers' Centre conference. We hear from Joy Xing. Joy Xing is a strategic campaigner in gig economy at the Transport Workers' Union. She is also an international student officer at the UTS Student Association and a previous Labour Party field organiser in Chinese community. She is talking about building power in migrant communities, a union perspective. We follow this with a follow-up report from the week-long strike at Melbourne University last week. Not surprisingly, gig workers and university workers have similar issues of overwork, bad conditions and job precarity at the heart of their struggles in the new order of big profits for the big end of town, a class that does not like to share. (laughs) 
You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. You're with Annie on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. The same job, same pay legislation slowly making its way through federal parliament is particularly focused on loopholes being used by employers to pay labour hire workers below the standard rates for the unionised workforces in mining and construction, for example. However, the rotten attacks on wages and conditions and unionisation is no better exemplified than in the gig economy, most present in food delivery riders, but making its way throughout the broader workforce. This is why legislation that is aimed at stopping the most gross attacks on migrant workers on visas is in the best interests of home-grown workers. This legislation is also being considered in federal parliament as part of the changes. It is the same impulse to squash wages and conditions that sets the precedent for all workers. Joy Shun is strategic campaigner in gig economy at the Transport Workers Union. She gave a talk at the most recent Migrant Workers Centre conference about her experience of organising food delivery riders, what it takes to get a positive result for workers in this precarious work landscape. My name is Joy, I'm a strategic campaigner in gig economy at the Transport Workers Union National Office. I organised gig workers and together we're pushing for the law that could provide fair standards, better condition and protections for all gig workers around Australia. Um, I'm also an international student who have been studying and working in, in Sydney for the past eight years. Um, I graduated from the University of Sydney with Bachelor of Political Economy and Social Science and now I'm studying Juris Doctor, a law degree at the UTS. Um, so really, I consider myself as a migrant worker who organising uh, migrant workers. Um, so just uh, I want to do a quick introduction on our union. So we are the largest collective voice for transport workers in private sector. We're fighting for employees, contractors, um, owner-operators owner in, in road transport, bus, aviation and transport gig economy, which will be our focus today. And my focus for the conference today will be taking you through the reality gig workers are facing at the moment, why we need to organise them and how. So the word gig, it really means um, one-time or short-term transaction without any commitment to a continuous relationship. So put simply, it's one, we use technology to match people that need work done with people who want to do that work. It has become a big part of um, how we live nowadays. You know, getting food and parcel delivered to your door or getting a driver to transport you to anywhere that you want. So gig workers working on apps or websites in some cases, and they classified as an independent contractor rather than employee. They're paid by task, piecemeal, um, not the hour. So gig workers are legally disadvantaged. The only law that can provide them with sort of protection is work health and safety law, nothing else. And you might hear some people say that working on demand gives people freedom and choice to decide how and when to work. There's a real flexibility there. Well, it might be the case for some 
um, I would say, small proportion of gig workers for those who have full-time or part-time job elsewhere. And this work could be an additional income for them. However, we found in our recent survey, for 80% of gig workers, this work is their main source of income. They actually rely on this gig work to pay bills and survive. There is real concern whether um, people doing gig work are being paid enough, whether the work is safe, whether there are adequate protections for workers. So when we talk about gig workers, we're largely talking about migrant workers, especially in food delivery sector, um, where we have 75% of transport gig workers are on a temporary visas who come from non-English speaking, culturally and linguistically um, diverse background. These migrant workers find this type of job are low barriers to enter um, and they have no idea on what is coming next once they become a gig worker. We um, have so many migrant workers in the gig economy due to various reasons. Might be language barrier, visa working restrictions on employment, lack of skilled training and local support, etc. And quite often the only work they can possibly do in Australia is gig work. Um, and because of these combined factors, we found um, they have little to no understanding on Australian legal system or union movement, let alone to protect themselves when things go wrong. Um, these unique factors and characters also pose some challenges on our organizing work as well. We need to spend more time on education about what is the union for, how union will protect them. We need to build trust with them and find the right moment to organize agitated workers who have been left with no choice but to fight. It is also um, can be challenging to continuously engaging with these workers after the first contact with them as they are widely dispersed across the city and the nature of work is really transient. Um, this actually could further lead um, lack of interest in the union movement and the challenging for us to develop a long-term activist for our campaign. And these migrant workers, again, especially in full delivery sector, are also tend to be young. Um, we have the youngest workers in transport. They are the future of our campaign and the industry. Um, you know, they make up around 70% um, people, gig workers are actually under age of 34. So very young. And um, when we're talking about organizing migrant workers, we, mu we must, we must appreciate all those factors um, and intersectional obstacles that gig workers must overcome um, before they can be unionized. But despite um, some of the challenges we found, the traditional organizing method in general union movement are still highly relevant um, but we also need specific support for migrant workers for a better organizing outcome. And when they are unionized, they can be amazingly united and fight for positive changes. Um, here are some examples from the past. So 150 um, hungry panda food delivery workers coming together, protest pay cuts and unfair dismissals. They um, collectively won back the reasonable rates from the company. When there are five food delivery workers lost their lives within two months in 2020, um, 
a lot of food delivery workers stood up together in raising their voice and urged government for a workers' compensation. When we have migrant activists who can confidently speak up, that will give the entire gig workers across Australia more voice, direct voice to the parliament. So why these migrant workers can be unionized and fight and speak up because they are truly agitated by companies practice and because they have been educated and skilled up enough and because they are union, um, they are union with resources and back them up. Some more key findings in the survey, um, which reveal the precarious situation um, and working conditions they have been facing for a long time. Nearly half of the gig workers are actually earning less than minimum wage in Australia. Um, we have, you know, more than half full delivery riders feel pressure to rush to deliver. Um, and we have more than 80% gig workers are actually rely on this source of income and have to work in long hours to make enough money. Um, if they dead or injured during work, there's no workers' compensation available. Um, if they're treated unfairly or arbitrarily deactivated, they can be um, lost their you know, income all of a sudden and unable to support themselves, their family financially. And we have seen too many deaths, injuries in the past, and the, unfortunately, the story continues. We um, have seen abuse, you know, assault cases on a daily basis. Um, and gig workers can only rely on their work, workplace positions in production um, to gain leverage against their employees. And when we talk about employees, we're talking about multinational companies like Uber, um, like Amazon Flex, but they have no power to against these companies or failed laws and policies unless they are unionized or organized. And this is the core of our campaign we organize gig workers in pushing for legal reform to address their issues, deadly issues for them quite often. Um, and this data in this survey is concerning. We have delivered this result to the parliament as evidence for the new laws that are about to coming up this year. Um, and this survey also provides us a great organizing opportunities. At the end of Last year and the beginning of this year, we, we actually conducted an industrial survey, which is the biggest independent survey in transport gig economy. Um, we had three goals for this survey. First is, you know, getting evidence for the legal reform. Second, to engage with gig workers. So um, while we survey them on ground, we can have one-on-one -on -one conversation with them, explore the issues, agitate and educate, recruit, and eventually develop them into activists. Third and the last, we want a building contact list for our future campaign activities. This was actually a member lead action. Members and officials together went to busy street where many restaurants are located, airport waiting area for Uber, uh, Didi, Ola drivers, and Amazon Flex warehouse to collect paper survey and talk to gig workers. We ask open-ended questions to explore and agitate them, to provide education on rights and fairness. We talk about campaign and what other members are up to within our union movement. As a result, we had over um, 1,000 new contact lists in our database. We have 50 new members during the survey period and more gig workers getting to know about us, union movement and the upcoming law and the changes um, through the survey and join the union and take the ownership 
of this fight. So what we can see that even though gig economy is quite unique because workers classified as independent contractor, the traditional organizing method are still highly relevant, are still useful for us. And organizing opportunities like survey, we also have other combined methods. So as a union, we say we're not servicing union. Member join the union uh, because they are the ownership of the fight. They should only join the union if they're up for a fight for fairness, not for services. And it is really important thing to, to mention to migrant workers, if they hold incorrect understanding on what is a union for, it will actually undermine their ability in the campaign um, because it would be so hard to develop any activist when they have servicing concept in their, in their mind. However, we do have to acknowledge their intersectional obstacles um, before we organize them. And this is why we're so lucky to have visa assisted program to address key sources of precarity and therefore enable us to organize them. For migrant workers, we also need to create sense of belonging, caring. Um, we need to expand our way of communication as well, just to reach out to them. And this is why um, we are currently holding members monthly meeting where we can all contribute and discuss a plan for the next step. Um, this is why we provide union trainings to our activists and skew them up for organizing purpose. We hold information session about gig economy, our campaign, upcoming changes to non-members, to broader gig workers across country every fortnightly online. Um, keep informing them about upcoming changes and bring them into the campaign. We do inductions in colleges and language school on a monthly basis. Um, where we can have access to international students who are working in gig economy industry. We're also spending time um, on one-on-one -on -one conversation and identify new leaders. Um, we have a members group chat where we provide updates and meaningful discussion about our campaign on a daily basis, and there's peer support as well. Um, we translate materials, flyers, handbook, um, or organize meetings with companies upon members' requests. We understand the hard situation for gig workers. So we, we have a discounted rate for um, food delivery workers, lower the financial barrier um, for them to participate in the campaign and mobilizing them. Um, we engage with border gig, gig workers on various existing Facebook pages, um, promoting our campaign information session. Um, we set up engagement email, we set up letter, we utilize the workhouse and safety law, the only law that we have at the moment um, for gig workers to organize workers and set up work committee within the companies. We organize industry actions, keep developing activists in other states using snowflake model of organizing um, and members, leaders, activists um, to drive this effort on the ground. We probably cannot change things overnight, but the TWU um, will continue this work to mobilize gig workers, especially migrant um, gig workers. So the next stage for us um, is really to keep doing what we have been doing, educating gig workers about their rights, getting activists on the ground to the government lobbying, and we will keep building power. 
educating workers and prepare for the reform. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Across the Australian University campus, NTEU, National Tertiary Education Union members, have been fighting a common battle against insecure work, low wages, wages theft, crippling workloads and constant restructures. And last week saw Melbourne University campus taking protected action in some areas for up to seven days. Chloe, a Melbourne University staff member and National Tertiary Education Union Vice President for Professional Staff, spoke to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast about the state of negotiations after the seven-day action. So we have uh, six key claims with, I think, the major ones at the moment that we're focusing on uh, secure jobs. So we want an 80% secure jobs commitment from the university and also um, action on workloads which are at crisis. And so far, the university has not come to the table on those. And am I correct in thinking that you've been in bargaining for about a year now? Yeah, over a year now. So can you give us a rundown on how the week went and if Unimail management came to the table with anything? Yeah, Absolutely. So uh, Monday started with a half-day strike, so it was actually um, the whole branch was out on strike and then we had also the um, areas that were out for the week, so it was sort of a a big day. Um, We had a rally um, outside Raymond Priestley, which is the building uh, that all that sort of chancellery um, uh, housed in and and the VC Um, and yeah, it was huge. We had amazing speakers um, and we had, I think, about a thousand people attend that, so that was huge. Um, and at 3pm that day, um, after our rally, we got a pay offer from the university. Yeah, so I don't know whether that was planned by them to try and kind of entice us off strike or whether it was just a response to the size of our rally. But the thing that was missing was the secure jobs offer that was supposed to accompany that pay offer that they had promised us. And so we waited out the week. So we had five different areas out for the full week. It was a huge week of amazing, you know, teach outs and rallies and all kinds of stuff. We got to the end of the week and at 5pm there was still no secure jobs offer. We did get a response to our heads of agreement um, proposal, which was a number of different claims that we thought, I guess, were sort of close to the university on settling. And their response to that was like a traffic light document. So things in green are things they agreed on. Things in yellow were things where they maybe agreed on something, but not all of it and then things in red were where there was no agreement and I think there was one green came back on that and the only thing that they agreed with us on was the name of the agreement and the expiry date of the agreement. Um, so they really haven't come to the table with anything. You kind of were talking about how management need to also play a key role in regulating workloads and mitigating that rising workload for staff but that there wasn't any recognition that that was even an issue so my guess is that that hasn't shifted It's exactly the same. You know, we're trying to put a positive duty on the university to have to regulate those workloads. And basically they've said that, well, employees have a duty as well. So they're basically just sticking with the approach to put it back onto individual staff members to have to do with regulating their workloads. And, you know, I think a lot of staff feel a lot of pressure, afraid to bring up workload issues because they're afraid of you know, how it might make them look or how their manager might respond. So they absolutely haven't moved on that. I think the only thing they suggested was that it might be in university's interest to fill roles quickly because that was one of the things we put up was that any vacant roles should be filled in a, you know, a short period of time. So staff in teams are picking up the workload of somebody who has left the university of a vacant role, but they've suggested that that's a matter better going into policy rather than into the EBA. So even where they kind of, we have some agreement, they're really resistant 
reluctant to actually agree to putting it in our um, EBA agreement and are trying to instead put it into their own university policies. I think the problem with that is that staff have shown that we don't trust the university. I don't think staff are going to be happy with that approach. I think if policy was working, I think we wouldn't have so many issues that we have right now. So yesterday, uh, we actually walked out of the bargaining room um, <laughs> because uh, the university did not provide that secure um, jobs offer that so the university actually asked for a two-week pause on bargaining so that they could prepare that so that actually came from them and once again they missed their own deadline so we went to the table yesterday but because no offer had come through um, we basically said to them we're not going to continue this if you don't provide us what you promised you know it's not good enough staff are really waiting on this and now we have to go back to staff and tell them that once again you've let us down that we actually walked out. So, yeah, pretty pretty dramatic, I guess. I don't think there's been a, a walkout in bargaining thus far. And so at this stage, the bargaining team, we won't be meeting again with the university until they provide us with that offer. The students have been incredible. Teaching staff have already also been doing a really great job at making statements in their classes and explaining to their students what the strike is about, that it will be a short-term impact on them, but it is fighting for kind of better long-term sort of arrangement. And the students have been really receptive This is all happening at a time where university fees are just going upwards and upwards. And so Mm -hmm. if students can recognise that they're not then seeing a benefit in their education, then it's just going to make it harder to digest for them, I suppose. We've, you know, heard stories of um, people having to withdraw from courses because they couldn't get their AAP, which is like an academic adjustment plan, plan that recognises that students might have a disability or an issue, like a mental health issue that would impact on their studies. And because they actually couldn't get that approved before the census date, they actually had to withdraw from their course. And so, you know, these terrible turnaround times, you know, also in like the student services have been impacting students as well. So I think students really have been feeling and experiencing that. And so I think, you know, when they hear people talking about the union and and bargaining and stuff, it really rings true to their experience. And we really feel for the students because what the university is providing them is just, it's really not good enough. And are you hopeful that at some stage you'll be able to come to some form of agreement or see some sort of positive change in this space? Yeah, I think we're still hopeful. I think yesterday was quite powerful, walking out and making it clear that we're not going to speak to them unless they provide us with what they promise and unless they keep those promises. So I I hope that that they, you know, will come back with that offer. Members are really angry and frustrated and I think they're prepared to take more action. For the university, it's either they come to the table or definitely the feeling that we've had from speaking to staff is that, um, yeah, they're very disappointed and, and ready to do what it takes to get the university to come back and give us a, a reasonable offer. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or at your favourite podcast site. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by ringing 03 94198377 and leaving us a message. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And until next time, stick together. We'll go out with a very rowdy piece from that fabulous Gold Coast band, The Chats.
Have you got a spare buck? This prick of a driver won't let me on the bus. It's getting late and I want to go home. I lost my wallet and I smashed my phone. I feel